Hey, Landscape Alaska, Margaret Tharp and David Lindrum back on the air, Conversations with Alaskan Gardeners. On this fine, soft day. As the Irish say, a fine, soft day. Perfect. And, you know, I like it like this. <laughs> yeah, me too. I really, really do. Yeah. Well, I'd rather work in cool weather than in hot weather, that's for sure. Yeah, you know? really. And uh, looking forward to some work today, eh? Yep. Just like every day. Mm-hmm. Going to the bank. Okay, we're going to take care of a lot of stuff today. Landscape Alaska will be open from 10 to 4.30. Maybe 5 o'clock, but certainly till 4.30. And uh, we have some spectacular stuff for you to see. Uh, Landscape Alaska is Juno's boutique nursery. We're on the Back Loop Road up above Goat Hill. And if you look on our website, landscapealaska.com, you'll find a little map. If you have any trouble, you can always call me up and I'll guide some, you in. We've got some red onions. We've got some chives in. And red stemmed celery. And celery. Is it red stem celery? It's a peppermint stick, red stemmed celery. Huh. So it's got red streaks on it. I thought it was really, really pretty. Uh, but you know, the herbs didn't come. Tarragon, thyme, oregano, none well, of that stuff came. Well, that's how Time of the pandemic, that's how it is, you know. I, I know when I get to be old, I'm going to go back. And when the time of the pandemic when came. When you're going to get old. I, I plan oh. to get a lot older than this, Margaret. <laughs> Good. I'm only barely old, but I plan to get really, really, really old. All right. That's a good plan, But Dave. not crotchety. Yeah, good. <laughs> you can leave that to me. Yeah, okay. So um, anyway, and we had some kale. What kind of kale is that? It's that frilly Russian kale. It looks it looked good. Vigorous. Oh, really healthy and big already, yes. And we have Swiss chard. Yes, we have chard and beets. We've got cabbage and cauliflower. Yeah, those are good And potatoes, things. the new shipment of... And we have uh, some overwintered mint. We do, and we have new peppermint, and we have potatoes. And the Yukon Gold potatoes arrived again. We have a new shipment of them. We have so, to get our potatoes planted, Dave. That's how it goes. I'll take them today and... Get them started sweating. Isn't that what it's called? Chitting. Chitting? Chitting. Okay. C-H-I-T-T-I-N-G. Oh. That's the for, the process of forcing them to sprout right. in a dark, warm, moist area. Well, I'll just put them down there with the rest of my sprouting potatoes. That's how it works. <laughs> I think that's how you figure it out. Oh, that's what they're like. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yep, 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 yep. So I heard you talking to Lynn the other day about making soil. And I know that that's one of the constant discussions. Oh, by the way. This is a call-in show. 586-1800 will get you on the air. You can ask anything you want. Uh, landscaping and gardening. Or tell pretty, us anything you want. Sure, or invite us to come see whatever you want. So people are always asking, what can I do for soil? Can I buy soil? How do I make soil? What's well, soil's tough, you know, and it, it, it's, it's not rocket science. People are used to easier ways of gardening, like they want to be able to call somebody up and say, yeah, bring me five yards of soil and just use it. My experience is that a lot of soil has a lot of weed seed in it, and I'm not, so I make my own soil. You know, I have enough weeds in my life, believe me that I don't want it in my newly planted garden areas. Particularly so weeds that you didn't already have in your yard. Right. New so, weeds. So uh, we make soil for the garden. And, and we, so you, what do you start out with? Washed sand. You get local washed sand from AgPro. And 
you mix about 50-50, the wash sand to organics. And the organics, depending on what you're growing, can be chicken manure, preferably, or rabbit manure is the best. Uh, we don't use steer manure because it comes with its own weed seeds because they're not all digested. Um, but if you don't care about weeds, you can use that. We use, we use real fine bark. We use peat moss. And we blend it all together. And what's really great is you, if you're doing it somewhere like you have a lawn, let's say you're going to put in a, a flower bed or a vegetable bed, you first cut out your your uh, grass and it comes up ideally like sod it's nice to have an edger where you cut it into big long strips and you can roll it right up and then you dig a trench and remove about eight to ten inches of the rocky soil that's underneath there because few of us have soil in in our (coughs) yards and distribute it lightly around in your yard so it can get absorbed in low spots and stuff like that you know you don't have to have a big pile of rock and sand that you're not going to use and then you you use that trench for making your soil and you start with a layer of washed sand and on that you put a layer of organics and on top of that you put a layer of washed sand and you put a layer of organics and you kind of pile it up blending it with your shovel all the time so it gets nicely blended if you make have two big areas then you have to have a rototiller or something like that to do the blending but if you're just doing it yourself like Lynn is with a shovel, then I was talking to her about how to do that. She wants to make beds for her primroses that are so pretty and expand that. So that's how we were talking about it. And, of course, you add lime and fertilizer when you actually get around to planting. Right. You don't have to add that stuff until you're actually ready to plant. Right. Because it goes away. Right. Now, and, then, uh, and then you want to protect this investment you've made in making soil over the winter time when the crop is done by making sure to cover it up with a piece of plastic or something like that. Right, and <coughs> landscape fabric's pretty good because it gets some water, but it doesn't get pounded with water. Right. You know, that's a, that's a pretty nice way to keep the weeds from infiltrating in or from saturating your soil and making it a big mucky mess. So when you end up, so you've got your trench 10 or 12 inches down in your soil, and you've got your soil also mounded up above yes, that. Yes, above that, about so eight inches. Eight inches above that. Mm-hmm. So it's going to drain. And you turn the water on it, and your your ideal thing is the water is going to drain through it. Right. Right. Absolutely. It's not going to turn out to be a pond. No. Good. No. That's what we want, hey? Yep. Okay. And so you can make this in a, in a big pile in your yard and spread it around, or you can make well, it you right where you're going to plant? You can do it, or you can do it by the wheelbarrow load. But if you're going to actually make a garden bed, it's easiest to do layers in the garden bed and mix it there rather than doing it in one place and then having to haul it over there. You know? Well, and, and the reason you use the wash sand is it doesn't have any of the fines in it that other types of regular sand has right you like, know it like drains if you go to the beach it drains better because the fines are not there and the sand that you buy from agpro they have two grades of sand and one's an imported one they use for making concrete that's got to have the exact spec on it and the other one is the local sand that comes out of lemon creek right and really that's all you need is the local sand and it's kind of brown and looks exactly like sand you would play with in a sandbox 
And then you can use that as the basis for making all kinds of things. Right. The critical thing is that it's able to drain and that there's enough organic matter in it to hold the nutrients, right? That's how it works. Okay, that sounds great. So, uh, and it's weed free. Oh yeah, that's the most. You know, it's part. weed free. So, that's that's what you want too. Right. You don't want to plant your garden and in a year have so many weeds that you it's swallowed everything alive. And it's not just weeds you're watching out for too. It's also soil-borne diseases, phytophthora, and ever, other kinds of root rots that are so common around here. Right. When you look at the rhododendron leaves, when people have the rhododendrons and they look at them this spring, and they've got those brown lesions along the side. Rust. And there's rust and there's phytophthora, and the phytophthora causes those, those kind of oval-shaped brown sections at the mm-hmm. edges of the leaves, and it makes it roll under. Yep. And all those are soil-borne diseases. So, so by making soil out of uh, these, these safer products, you're going to avoid that kind of stuff. And also, if you want to start your uh, your small plants, this is perfect for doing that. Perfect for doing seedling trays and and small divisions. Which brings up another point. One of the things that we recommend often when people are saying they're going to start doing landscape projects or build a new garden area or they want to, to uh, change what's going on, we recommend that they choose some area in their yard which they designate as their nursery bed. And that's a place that you make nice soil in. And then you can take things that either your friends give you or you buy on the deal or you find them in your yard and you want to have something you want special. To but you're not ready yet to put them where you're going to have them as their permanent home. Having a place that's concentrated enough so you can be sure you're going to take care of all that stuff and not let it dry out is really a good idea. And you can pay attention to stuff a lot closer in your own nursery bed. And as your garden gets bigger, uh, especially we're talking about um, not so much vegetable gardening because that's pretty immediate, but the perennial and shrubbery life and even tree life, if you have a place to put something to hold it until you're ready to actually have its spot ready, it's, it's so much nicer. It is. Because sometimes it's there for a year. Before it gets to where it's supposed to be, and that also brings up the fact that the the Japanese maples are coming into leaf right now. So if you want to choose the particular kind of Japanese maple you want, you know there's so many different leaf shapes and leaf colors and textures, and whether you're going to have one that has big gold leaves or tiny red leaves or green leaves with frilly edges or any of that kind of stuff, you know you want to. There's not a lot of them around. So and you see the chance to buy the one you want, and you go ahead and get it, and then you've got a place to put it down. So this is a call-in show. I know you're all busy out there, but if you have any questions about growing things, 586-1800. Hey, there we go, 586-1800, and it gets you on the air. So the quick-fire hydrangeas, our favorites for the last few years, are budding up now and beginning to show their new growth. And some of them probably need to be pruned. That's right. These kind of hydrangeas are the kind with the flowers that are long and pointy, kind of like a lilac. Now, good morning, Conversations. Um, did I understand that last time I listened in, you had sweet potatoes? No, that wasn't us. That was somebody calling in asking about them. Oh, I see. Okay. All right. Regular potatoes is what we have. Okay. Thank oh, you. You, you betcha. Bet. Thank you. Okay, so uh, pruning the hydrangeas. 
when you look at the hydrangea bush and you see where the the branch comes out and the lee, the little green buds are on opposite sides of it you're going to keep well, two or three sets of that and everything else gets cut back they they grow so much in a year you know they grow 8 or 10 inches oh at least so you want to and the flowers are so big and with the rain and everything you want to keep them a little on the stout side so that they can support themselves in the summer storms and not end up laying on the ground and that's really kind of why you prune the hydrangeas like that so they get beefier and uh, still keep growing and getting broader but not necessarily longer and the flower size on them is quite staggering right it's hard to believe such a huge flower comes out of a tiny little branch like that. People are really happy with the, the all the work and stuff, you know. Have you noticed how much more traffic there is on the roads and everybody's speeding around and it's like, oh, the pandemic's almost over. Don't we you can go that, drive around. Don't you get that feeling? <laughs> I've been so waiting for that feeling. Yes, yes, yes. So I was out last night in the dusky misty gloom in my slippers taking photos of the Baden Baden rhododendrons with my cell phone. They're a beautiful rhododendron. A really, really beautiful rhododendron. I was going to put a ad on Craigslist and an ad on the Facebook and send a letter to our our newsletter friends so I could show off how beautiful they looked just as they're cracking open. What a succulent, rich red color they are. The Akiyamas came oh, it must have been almost 40 years ago and bought our, the very first Baden Baden we brought into town and planted them down there at doctor's office that's now MRV and uh, they did really well for about 35 years it was a pretty hot spot but they are really pretty really a dark dark mm, luscious red. looking and being in the misty cool evening with the water droplets on the petals they just looked beautiful and next to them were the Ramapo rhododendrons. Like the contrast between the, the dark lavender red flower and the, and lavender the, flowers, and the yeah. lavender flowers. It's just lovely. Just absolutely lovely. So, um, And it's time to fertilize rhododendrons. Yes, it is. You know, you want to fertilize them soon. I've been working on the landscapes, and they're all pretty hungry. You know, it was long winter, and... They, they need a jump start. They do. And, and also, what's going to happen here, the sequence is you're going to fertilize them now. The plant's going to take a month or so to metabolize it and get it into its system. They're going to start flowering. And then right after the rhododendrons flower is when they grow. And they grow from those buds that are right underneath the flowers themselves. So the new growth comes right there. So you want to be... Be sure to give them enough nutrient that they're going to be able to uh, make their new growth healthily. And you kind of fertilize them at the drip line and a little bit underneath the drip line because they have such fibrous roots. They're right there on the surface. Uh And you want to make sure you water underneath them before you fertilize them because their leaves do, if they're heavily leaved, act like an umbrella. Now, I do have to say that the... Dwarfer rhododendrons have come through this winter much better than the cast iron hybrids. 
The great big ones. The big old the, rhododendrons really suffered a lot this winter. Yeah, they really did. And the dwarf ones came through like champions. Yep. And shiny. And they look great. Now, I, we have a kind that we didn't order. We ordered one thing and something else came. And it was called a PJM Compacta. Now, PJM is a kind of rhododendron that we generally love. It's an upright form, and it's a cross between an evergreen and a deciduous kind. And the leaves are really, really glossy but small. And the flowers are scattered all through the bush rather than being Just in on big top. clumps. Yep. And so, and so this is, was a surprise to us to even see these things. And they're just, the very first ones are just opening up now. What a pretty color that is. Mm -hmm. It's a magenta purple color. Pale, though. In comparison. Yeah, it's very pretty. Very, very pretty. And the Capistrano, the yellow rhododendrons we have. The first I just bud. First bud opened this morning. Really? Uh -huh. I've been waiting and watching. Yeah, no, they're really pretty. There aren't many yellow rhododendron. You know, and this is the only one I know of that's hardy enough for us here. And it's a pretty thing. Very I brought pretty. some in specially for a, a customer who ordered them ahead. And I bought a few extra ones to make sure that we would have some for them. And, of course, one for us. Right, exactly. We need them. No matter what they are, we need at least one of them. I think it's wild that we can still be so enthusiastic about plants. It just drives me crazy. It's like... I'm lucky that I'm not a drug addict or something because with the, mo with the way I, I kind of am so obsessive about having all this collection of plants, I can only imagine what it would be like if it was cigarettes or, I don't know, something and not anything. as healthy. That's right. <laughs> you know? So we got a, a shipment of uh, perennials in from our Canadian suppliers this week. And one of the reasons we deal in the Canadian stuff a lot is because we can get access to much newer varieties. Things that aren't available in the American market yet. That come from Europe. That come Tissue from culture that mm -hmm. comes from Europe. Really cool stuff. And mm -hmm. the, uh, the new Veronicas that are short and fat with the spikes of flower on them. I want those dark pink ones, too. Okay, you can have them. I'm really looking forward to it. It needs Since to warm up. Business, I mean, yes. everything's kind of alive, but it's not booming yet. Boy, those blue poppies are happy, aren't they? Mm -hmm. Just came right up. And they respond so well to being out in the rain for just a few days. Boy, they just look like they They like it cool. They do. And they like it un They like it getting out of the box. Right. Absolutely. So the organic chicken manures arrived just in time to fertilize the, the shrubbery. And I saw that you had the big blueberries. I do. You got the big blueberries from down in Montana Creek and brought them up. Mm-hmm. You ought to give them all a shot of manure. Oh, I will. You know? I'll give that. I'll give everything that we're going to eat, the organic fertilizers, and I know we're going to do that with lots of that kind of stuff. So, um, Blueberries, gooseberries, The blueberries currants. are really, even in the wild, the blueberries are really winning the day. They act like... Aren't they, though? This was no big deal this winter, you know? What are you all whining about? So, I mean, the pussy willows are still just coming out at our house but the the blueberries are far ahead of them where it's usually the other way around and of course the raspberries are booming up too you know shooting up out of the ground and getting ready waving their little hands around peonies the peonies are coming up too they want it warmer too though i mean yeah they're coming up but let's have some sun yeah they're not the only ones i could use a little bit of that myself you know i saw this uh i spoke about it 
last week, but not on the air. I saw this old-fashioned travel log that was on TCM, and they showed Juno from, like, the early 1940s. And what a different place it was then than it is now. But one of the things that was so amazing was they had a completely different type of lupin then. They had a lupin that looked like it was about four feet tall. It made a hedgerow around people's homes. And it was wild. And I've never seen any lupin here that looked like that. Four feet, that's big. That's big. Like this. That's big with big trunks. Uh Mm -hmm. And they showed pictures of typical Juno homes. And, of course, they were taking pictures kind of going out then out the road towards where the airport was. And uh, it was all big rose bowers and these lupin. And, I mean, thick. And the airport was in a huge lupin field. And, again, really big, not like the little lupins we have now. So what do you think would cause that? Uh, I couldn't tell you. I think it's probably still the same varieties. I don't know, Dave. They did not look it at all. Think the weather could have been so different that they just grew bigger? Or perhaps that they'd not been disturbed. That had been in the same place for an awfully long time. And remember, lupin is one of those things that's really, really dependent on its association with the soil fungus. You know, the, I know, but the difference between the lupin that is, you know, 18 inches versus one that's four feet, that's a big difference, <laughs> you know. Absolutely. And I would love to see four-foot lupins around. Well, I want to see that film again. I was like, let's have some of that. Let's look at that landscape. You know, and it was a th- big industrial scene. I mean, downtown, completely industrial. All the sand and stuff from all the mines and the channel was really narrow I can imagine how much they did the dredging and stuff then because they couldn't have, couldn't have been in a boat it was full it was amazing yep pictures that I saw when you were doing your research for designing the Treadwell Park, park. Mm-hmm. Historic park. really showed I saw a lot of historic photos then and it looked quite an astoundingly different place mm-hmm Okay, so uh, the Top Gun roses are looking real nice. They're very pretty. Shiny, shiny leaves. This is going to be another winter, another introduction for Southeast Alaska. I think they're going to be just absolutely great. And this is a shiny-leaved kind of rose, not like a Sitka rose where the, the rose has got hair all over it, the petals have hair all over it. This is a, more like a, uh, a florist kind of rose. With and lots once and lots it starts blooming, red. it should keep blooming. Yes, that's the critical deal. So bloom all the way into the fall. Yep. I'm so looking forward to that. The first one should be opening in the next couple of weeks. Only if it gets warmer. Maybe we should set a fire underneath it. Well, we can always try that. <laughs> no problem. So the new veggies, new perennials, the sh- overwintered shrubbery that we stored over the wintertime has been brought up to the nursery now, and we've got hundreds and hundreds of fantastic things for which we might have five or seven, not, but we don't have hundreds of them. So if you are interested in some of this kind of stuff, come soon and look around, because a lot of these, you know, like we, maybe we'll have two of them. And uh, if you want to have a, a chance to get your hands on something like that, come soon, come early. So um, it's also lawn time. Time to get your lawn together. 
I'm sorry to say, because you all know that I can't stand lawns, but I have to take care of a lot of them. So fertilize them, thatch them, take care of them. And before you thatch them, put the moss killer on it. Yep. Don't thatch them first and then put the moss killer on it, which... No, is there a way to maintain, once you kill your moss, is there a way to treat your lawn with iron sulfate to keep the moss down? Because it certainly seems to me like we could use something like that here. Are you going to sleep, Dave? No, I'm not. I'm just thinking about it. <laughs> I'm thinking there's got to be a way. <laughs> no. So. You know, I mean, once the... You can you could probably use the slow release iron sulfate, you know the rock kind, the rock kind of iron sulfate that hardly After dissolves at all. After you've already gotten rid of your. Have you already gotten it right? And I've got some. It looks like like kind of green gravel, and it's really really slow to release. We used to put it out. I don't know. It's probably 15 years ago we did that kind of thing. Well, the reason why I'm asking is that the, I have a client that has a lot of lawn and it's always a pain and if there was some way to reduce the amount of moss we'd be ahead well let's try that i've got i've got some that are, i've had for a while are we out of ta- time we're coming really close to it just got a couple minutes okay i'm going to be at landscape alaska today come and see me margaret's going to be out on the job with her crew taking care of stuff my crew of one your crew of one injured <laughs> and we are looking for landscape labor if there's somebody who wants to come and be part of our organization we would be thrilled so uh it's vigorous outdoor work you'll learn a lot you'll have a good time it's really really enjoyable i'm kind of so stuff. much fun <laughs> yes <laughs> working for margaret is so much fun we were working at mcdonald's this last week we were there this morning at seven o'clock that's right it's all been remodeled and uh, those landscape plants were planted the year we arrived in juno 1982 and there were just some gigantic pieces there yep we salvaged them we salvaged them all and we got plans for them Mm -hmm. so uh we'll talk to you again next week and uh come and see us get in touch with us through our website or through email landscape alaska at gmail or call margaret or i up on our cell phones well don't call me because my phone's broken i've got to get a new phone dave okay and this has been Margaret Tharp and David Lendrum, Landscape Alaska. And we're wishing you all happy gardening.